Hey, welcome to the Upload Iceberg podcast where we talk about the journey, data, and process of growing a YouTube channel. If the upload is the content you see above the water as the viewer, I'll cover everything you can't see in the murky depths below the surface. I should have this memorized. My name is Dan Yashua. We'll follow my self-titled photography channel. I'll publish new episodes after hitting subscriber milestones. And this is episode three, recorded after hitting 2,700 subscribers on May 21st, I think May 21st, May 21st, 2023. Today is September 17th, still playing catch up. New vids are going to drop after this episode, before episode four comes out. Um, so we'll catch up until we get to 3,000, which is where we are currently. The title today, 2,700 subscribers, it's going to be something like the RF 28 millimeter. I'll maybe toss in the 100 to 400 millimeter, but we're going to focus on affiliate marketing and revenue. And there's a link there because I used AdSense and affiliate marketing directly to purchase this RF28 to be able to you know, make some long-term reviews and videos around it. The thumbnail, I'm going to, because I'm going to make the next video, the 100 to 400 in the thumbnail, we're just going to toss it in this lens a little bit clickbaity. Uh, but this is what's coming up next. I'm going to talk shortly about a trip that I just took. And the focus was shooting on this 28mm RF pancake and the 100 to 400, as well as the 35mm macro. So we'll just toss this in here, something like this. I think it's fairly funny to just take these thumbnails. But who am I to say? You know, I, I don't, again, not too worried. These thumbnails. The click-through rate is abysmal. We'll get to that in the analytics section at the end. We can look at the first two episodes, um, but they're pretty rough. This is the third episode. I think the majority of podcasts, the majority of shows never make it to 10 or past 10, something stupid like 80 or 90% of shows. So we've got seven to go. We're gonna be trying something a little bit new today. Uh, I've talked about kind of the fact that I don't really want to edit these. I'm trying to get better at speaking extemporaneously, not pausing, not cutting. And you know, listening to these back is rough because I'm saying, um, ah, pausing a lot. I'm going to look at using this tool called ReCut to edit this episode because I want to use ReCut on my normal uploads in the future. So I'm kind of using this as a test ground, this show as a test ground. Basically, for $100, this will kind of go through, create an XML file, and you can fine tune the program to remove silence from video. And it happens pretty quickly. Um, so this landing page kind of gives you everything you would want to know about ReCut. The trial gives you five exports. I've messed around with one that was okay in a test. So I'm gonna go ahead and try to run this episode through it, hopefully removing any pauses. That might result in some weird like visual cutting that you would see if you're watching this video. I think the benefit is that I don't have to worry so much about pausing, stopping in between if I need to collect thoughts before a particular section, I think. And so I just left an intentional pause there. We'll see how well it handled it. But I think this will result in a much better audio product. There will be less pauses and sort of how I ramble and speak in half sentences. That should be cleaned up with ReCut a little bit better. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this looks like. It's possible that it doesn't work that well on this full episode, in which case I'll be editing this more manually like I've done in the past and kind of going back to that non-cutting non nature that I've tried to uphold on this show. Uh, that's kind of a tangent. Probably didn't need to know all that, but an interesting product in case you're making videos to maybe check out. I do not have an affiliate link for this, but it would be nice if I end up using this if I could. I think today we'll talk about trip I just took specifically as it relates to the 28 millimeter RF lens and the 100 to 400, how I use the 35 millimeter macro. That trip was kind of a send off for that lens. If you watched my Sigma 28 millimeter video, and not a lot of people have, uh, the RF 35 millimeter macro is not long for my bag. I'm going with 28 instead of 35. I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in case you missed the. Um, Sigma video. Uh, 
yeah, so we'll cover the trip. We'll cover affiliates, how those tie together, how I how those play out on my channel at this size, what I envision affiliate marketing being for this channel in the future. We'll kind of cover the analytics section that we typically, you know, look at those 28 days leading up to this 2700 subscriber milestone. And uh, again, kind of a brief teaser at the next couple episodes coming up. That's what I think we're going to run through. We can start with the trip. I took a short trip to my favorite state park, Black Machine State Park in the middle of Pennsylvania. It is about three hours from here. It was fairly exhausting. That's why I've got the glasses on between that trip and spending the last 48 hours basically in Lightroom or most, most of the waking hours in the last 48 hours in Lightroom. My eyes are pretty shot. I'm pretty exhausted chasing the Milky Way. But the reason I want to mention the trip mainly in this context is one, the lenses that I brought. So brought the, both the R6, R8, the 28 millimeter, the 35 millimeter macro, the Sigma 28 in case it rained, I wanted something weather sealed so that I wasn't just like stuck in the middle of a state park in the rain in a tent, not having anything to shoot with and feel super comfortable with. I brought the 100 to 400, obviously did some bird photography, spent a long time chasing a heron at the top of the lake that we can talk a little bit about as well. And then I brought the Samyang 85 as another weather sealed option in case it rained, but barely used that. I don't think I'll have any select photos from that lens at all. The other big highlight was to try to test some Astro. And I got really lucky with this lens, took some examples with the RF28, the RF35, and the Sigma28. Probably got some decent Milky Way Astro shots with each of them. So, you know, this was the trip that I was hoping, you know, I was hoping to have these conditions in the summer when I took a trip here. Um, didn't pan out, but had absolutely perfect conditions this time. So really cool and really enjoyed that trip. The other reason I bring up this trip is because I think for a lot of people on the beginning end of photography, the thing that you need to do more than anything else is just get out and shoot. And part like one good way to do that is to take a trip because you can spend a lot of time in the same areas over and over and over. So for me, a two night photo trip looks like, you know, kind of driving around spots that I'm sort of already familiar with and just like chasing sunrise and sunset and just trying to spend a lot of time in better light, which is really important. And then the middle of the day, just kind of chill. For me, I drove into town and did some freelance work for a few hours, did some reading, you know, just normal, normal vacation-y type stuff. But it's really helpful to be able to be in a spot close enough that you can, like it's still painful to rip yourself out of bed in the morning and stay up really late and do those back-to-back two days in a row. It's exhausting, but it's, it makes, you know, trying to get good photographs a lot easier for a short trip. And like the thing that I want to hammer home is it doesn't have to be expensive. So I know like, you know, not everyone has $150 lying around, but that's kind of in the range that you can take kind of a camping trip if, if landscape or nature photography is your thing at all. You know, I probably spent 50 bucks in transport, 40 for two nights to 10. You get a couple, you might get some Chick-fil-A Sammies in you on the way. So you can kind of get in, in and out for less than 200 bucks and spend a lot of time photographing. And I know taking the time off is harder for some people depending on your job. But, you know, I think one thing to think about in the context of affiliate marketing that we're going to get to, sometimes it's better, even if you're going to buy like a more affordable lens, two, three hundred dollars. Sometimes to learn or to get an experience, you know, maybe if you have some of the tools that you already need to take stuff that you like, consider putting that two to three hundred dollars at the start of your journey into a trip instead or into an experience where you're going to learn a lot and you know, maybe have the opportunity to take some shots that you wouldn't ordinarily have if you weren't taking a dedicated photo trip. That's a long rambling way to say take trips mix trips in as opposed to just gear. If it were me, that's what I would do starting out if I could do it over again. Because again, if you're not shooting weekly and editing weekly, the best way to get better is to do that. That's, that's the long, sad answer if you're looking for a shortcut. And trips is a great way to do that. Coming out of this trip, I'll probably have two videos. I'll probably have another video around the RF 28 millimeter 
Real quick, we'll just look at the subscriber chart that I pulled up. Tried to organize tabs a little bit better this time. So this, the period of time that we're looking for this episode is April 3rd, this 2600 to May 21st. So kind of, again, last time we talked about riding some of that short form growth, you see that kind of here in the subscriber graph. It's tailed off a little in this section to get to 2700, but that's what we're looking at. Going back to the 28 millimeter macro video, or excuse me, the 28 millimeter pancake video, I'd like to make a little bit of a follow-up for this because ideally, oh, come on, load, please. Ideally, I would have included some of the things that I um, shot on this recent trip in this video if I had time to make it, namely the Astro, but also, you know, a little bit more comparison into the 28 to 35 focal length discussion. You know, I hit that really kind of hard in my Sigma 28 millimeter review. But again, that video just doesn't do well. I think it's worth, if this interests you at all, it's worth taking a, a second to go check out that video. I speak a lot about the wide end of my kit and how I kind of thought through that. What would be ideal because a 28 millimeter prime is still not the ideal solution for me. I think I'm a good candidate for the RF 15 to 35 mil lens but I just, I can't spend that right now. And I kind of don't want a lens that big at the same time. So 28 millimeter is a good compromise for me at the moment. That's why I went with the Sigma at the time. We can discuss why I'm going to probably keep the Sigma over this lens as well. Uh, but that's, you know, yet to be determined. All that to say, um, there's going to be some things like this video is doing really well. So to the extent that I can see what we have on the end screen here, to the extent that I can pitch a follow-up video to expand on this? Um, I'd like to. Okay, so here you can see I have on the end screen, you know, this is an episode about affiliates, but we're going to get into a little end screen strategy that you didn't bargain for. I've got this RF 70 to 200 long-term review. It's doing really well. It's kind of in the more recent style that I've used for videos. And so I wanted to have that here and have these two videos play off. Also, this is something I haven't really talked about explicitly in either of those two videos is that the 70 to 200 and this 20 millimeter pancake would be a really good one-two combo, right? You have something that's weather sealed with a, with a great range that's pretty decent in low light with that F4, at least compared to something like this on the long end. And then a 20 millimeter prime that's faster, weighs and takes up zero space and kind of gives a good complement um, to that longer telephoto range. So I think those... You know, like if I had to travel super, super light right now on a trip, R828 and the 70 to 200 F4, that would be a pretty killer two lens combo. And I really, you know, you've heard me talk about that on the channel before, probably. I love to kind of settle into a good two lens combo for light travel or even just a light day for a hike or something. So that's the goal here. You can see I have a video best for viewer. I'm letting YouTube decide. How to pitch the send screen for part of it, that's where this second 28 millimeter video will go. It will probably be relatively short. And I'm gonna have to walk the balance between, like I don't have a thesis for this video yet. I'm gonna have to walk the balance between really focusing on the Astro, which was a big part of this trip. I feel like there's not a ton to say there. The spoiler is that uh, it's substantially better in terms of quality than the RF35 when you get into the corners of an image and the star quality. At the same time, like there's other things that I should probably touch on in that video in comparison to the 35. And I think the thesis will probably be to pitch it directly against the 35, while at the same time, I'm just gonna focus more on the 28 and use the 35 as kind of a foil um, because I do plan to sell that lens. And so I wanted to make one last video to you know, demonstrate some of those concepts very clearly. That's what I'm gonna do there. The other video is the RF 100 to 400 review. And the thesis on that is a little bit weak at the moment too. I really gotta pull that video together and record. I think the focus is gonna be on the limitations, right? Some of these are obvious. It's the, it's the big one. This is a dark lens. It's not gonna give you that much light. And that's gonna be potentially a problem at sunrise and sunset, as I found out. It's not like a, a show-stopping problem. You just have to work around it. And you're going to have to do the work in Lightroom to, to work with what you got. Um, the new denoise feature in Lightroom, the AI generated one, is extremely helpful. You know, most of the time that I shot with this lens on this trip was basically stuck at 6400 and even ISO 8000. And you're getting usable stuff. You can make it work. It, there does 
get to be a point in the night where you definitely just should put it away and switch to something else. Right. And that's what I did. It's kind of like shoot wildlife until you really are, you can't stop motion anymore. So, you know, you can only crank your shutter so slow. And once you've kind of maxed out there and you've maxed out on the F8 and you've maxed out on, uh, you know, kind of that 6,400, 8,000 range I'm finding for me on the R6 and R8, you know, I kind of, you know, pocket this and then see if you can't take any other landscape shots with the dying light with a faster lens like the 28. Those are the two videos. Now, that is a good segue into the affiliates because, again, the RF28 I bought completely with affiliate and AdSense earnings on this channel. And affiliate marketing, you know, if you're not familiar, is typically kind of a big piece of a lot of creators' like revenue puzzle, in, especially when it comes to like tech camera and reviews. It's kind of you know, you've got sponsorships where I've got kind of a goose egg on this channel in that in that column. You've got like digital products created by the creators themselves. I'm trying to dabble, but another big goose egg here. You've got AdSense. You can come back here and, you know, we kind of know at any given 28D period right now, as we walk through, you can kind of see I'm hovering around 40 bucks every 28-day period. And then you've got affiliate revenue. Um, and it's it's really nice to be able to get something concrete with affiliate revenue and AdSense at a channel this size, right? It's super motivating for me. It creates like direct content for viewers that are interested in this stuff. Um, and it does so without like further compromising. Like I don't have to, to be able to purchase something on the lower end of, you know, tech or camera products like this. You don't have to sell this. I don't have to sell any space to an advertiser to be able to make this content. This just comes organically out of typical viewing, watching, and on the affiliate marketing side, any purchasing behavior that viewers engage in after watching my videos. So that's really cool. And uh, this is at the lower end of the price point. So it just works out well to be able to still put, that's a small channel, some money right back into it. So basically, if you've watched anything ever, thank you. I appreciate it from the AdSense perspective. The affiliate revenue, the affiliate marketing revenue works if you're not familiar. Um, everybody has these links in the creator space, probably in the bottom of their videos. It's one of the easy ways to market. You can see, I pull up the 28 as an example. I don't have any affiliate links on here. That's a, that's a choice. We'll get to that later in the episode. Let's come back to see. I think I have some on the 70 to 200 video. So I'm promoting some videos. I've got the link to the moment Sydney blooms. This is an affiliate link. I also have a link to my digital products here, the presets. Maybe I'll just roll the ad right now. All right, this show is self-sponsored. Thanks for diving into the murky depths with me. I've got 10 coupon codes for some new Lightroom presets. Just dropped one pack, pack of two of bloomy green and gold. Um, you can see the preview here. Got the original photos, some of these you've seen in recent videos. Um, you know, no, no edits on these except for maybe some slight exposure to fix in camera mistakes and then how just a one click preset looks on photos like that. Um, obviously, you know, we'll increasingly talk about how to bring these to the next level post preset. But if this is something that you're interested in there on my Gumroad page, I'll link this in the description. And if they aren't all used up by the time you get here, the code iceberg will get you 50%. But on the affiliate front, if you were to click this link to shop for Moment Cinebloom filters and you end up purchasing, this link has um, tracking built into it so that I would get a slight kickback on that product. It costs nothing more to you than it would be to ordinarily buy the Cinebloom. I still get a portion of that sale. And at the same time, I help Moment grow. So, you know, a lot of times we'll refer to these as like, this is a a win, affiliate marketing is a win, win, win. Creator wins, the viewer wins, especially if you're finding a product that you wouldn't ordinarily have found without watching the content that turns out to be a really good fit for your life or your purchasing behavior. Or at the same time, if I were to save you as the creator, like from buying something that you wouldn't ordinarily get value out of in terms of like, for example, in a comparison video, maybe, you know, things that I've done here on the channel RF 7200 F4 versus RF 70 to 200 F28. And then 
Um, so company wins because you're you're giving them exposure. Viewer wins, creator wins. That is the best case scenario. And I think most times affiliate marketing falls into that win-win-win bucket. As an example, one somebody I saw found this podcast episode, one of these, I think it's the first episode. I have some search for the RE20, which is this microphone. I'm going to reach. Yeah, Electro Voice RE20. Somebody found this through a couple people found this through searching this microphone and they listened to a good portion of the podcast. So if they're still listening and I bring this up because I have this podcast is a great example of a video with a lot more affiliate links. There's we'll get to this concept in a second. There, there's a concept of not linking off from the platform, trying to keep the viewer on YouTube, for example, or any other platform. So I don't want to include so many links. On the podcast, I'm taking on the podcast, on the YouTube uploads, I'm taking a little bit of a different approach. And I am putting a decent amount of links here in effort to help monetize this, to pay for the production for things like Transistor and other products that I might use to help make the creation of this show easier, right? So one of them in this setup is the RE20. That's this microphone. It's relatively expensive. I like this microphone because you can kind of buy your way out of bad audio with something like this. So it's a little bit complicated. I don't, I'm not an audio expert. If you switch to this microphone and you pick up the audio interface and you pick up the cloud lifter because it needs some extra gain, you know, audio people know all about this and more than I do. But if you pick up this microphone and run through kind of like a simple workflow and audition, you can get it sounding fairly decent. The quality can be fairly high without really knowing what you're doing. So I would say I've kind of, I don't have no idea. I've spent a long time trying to better the audio on this channel, but I don't have a great idea and I'm not a great audio editor. However, if you get a microphone like this, sort of look up some basics on how to try to improve the voice coming into the microphone, like from the very beginning, including this pop filter is brand new. It's like 12 bucks, the cheapest one I could find that works sort of well for this microphone. You might hear a little bit less desk noise because of it, hopefully. They, they sell a pop filter that's 100 bucks, skipping that for sure. But, you know, I, I kind of have a workflow that's take this audio into addition, audition, you know, slap a little bit of denoise, a little bit of um, de reverb. The room I'm recording in is horrific. That's kind of why I've tried to buy my way out of this issue. Also knowing that I'll use this microphone for a long, 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 long time if I keep making videos and podcasts. So kind of chose to spend the money on, on this, run through the workflow. I apply some like standard EQ profile. Like there's not a lot going on. And then a de-clicker because I feel like I have a lot of mouth noise coming into this microphone that I find disgusting to listen back to. So I try to put it through the declicker just to take some of that out automatically. Anyway, you go through that whole process and have a decent microphone and a decent recording setup, and you can kind of, without knowing all that much about audio or being an audiophile, you can get to a lot better than if I was using, I don't have it around, but I have a lab that I was using and I often use for backup or in the field potentially. It just sounds a lot better than that. And yeah, if, if somebody searches the RE20 and they get this deep, that's why I have it listed. Um, particularly if somebody wants to try to replicate this sound workflow, you know, they can go down here, they can check out what I'm using, they can buy it, I get a kickback, everybody wins, win, win, win. Now, Amazon gets a little bit of this, right? Amazon has a big affiliate program. We can get to my feelings on Amazon in a second. There are times when I think affiliate marketing is not good, or even when it's sinister. And this is when I think you have people linking to products that they don't believe in just because the product could be part of a very lucrative affiliate marketing program. So if you have, if you're an affiliate for many companies, for example, I have affiliate links for Amazon, for Moment, uh, for Peak Design, for F-Stop. They all have separate programs. A lot of them use different affiliate um, program software, different platforms. If I were a creator and a little bit more nefarious and not caring so much about the consumer. I could theoretically go out and find products with excellent affiliate programs that products that I haven't used that I couldn't vouch for or that I couldn't reasonably link to without using them. And I could put those out into the world and less savvy consumers 
are going to use the trust that they have in that creator, transfer it to potentially a big buying decision. The creator gets a kickback, but you know they haven't really vetted those things or those programs. And I think that's a little bit gross. Um, I try not to do that here. I would certainly link to products in the future that I haven't used. If I've done research, want to throw out the example. I don't think I've ever done that. Or if I have, I've been very clear up front about like, this is something that I would consider though I haven't used it. That's kind of how I like to approach affiliate marketing. I think that's having that approach, having that line makes me feel good about everything that I link to. It hopefully should feel good from a trust perspective for my audience um, to kind of keep my affiliate, I don't know, morality in that win-win-win category. Uh, I don't see a lot of this, to be honest. I don't see like a lot of sinister linking. One thing you'll see is like, you're not supposed to share these links in chat or message or over email without really identifying that it's an affiliate link. So down here, kind of have to put this disclaimer at least to be extra safe. And that's really important so that consumers know that, okay, well, no money has exchanged hands. You know, Amazon's not paying me to link to this RE20. It's important to note, and I think probably legally you have to do so with the FCC to show that, okay, there is some kickback that I'm going to get if you decide to purchase this product. Now, it does rely on consumers having some awareness. So I think this is affiliate marketing is probably unknown to some people watching videos, but I think people generally at least younger people nowadays, I think generally understand that creators make money in certain ways. AdSense is one of them. I think people who aren't creating content probably think AdSense pays, may, pays way more than it does. They probably underestimate how deeply embedded into the affiliate marketing systems creators are. And that can be, again, for like tech, niche, tech niches or gear of any kind can be pretty lucrative. Now, I think. There are also some strategies or some goals that I have around affiliate marketing in general. And one of them is just to link less. I want to be able to sort of like this podcast, even though I know the income from this podcast or from this channel in general is going to be low, I feel very strongly that I want the monetization mechanisms to be in place from the very start while I grow. And I think for people who are interested in creating, but also want to make money from the creation someday, it's important, I think, to approach it sort of like that, sort of in a business-minded way. Even if you have correctly set your expectations that you're not going to be making a ton of money from your content, I think it's important to have a mechanism there because it can be motivating, if nothing else. So linking less is going to be one of my goals in effort to keep people on the platform. Like I said, YouTube wants you know, YouTube makes money serving ads. And so they ideally want to give you a great experience so that you stay on YouTube all day long, watching content and watching ads. So they don't want you necessarily clicking off after watching a video. It sends a bad viewer signal. The visibility that creators have into like how much that penalizes any given viewer during a session, I don't know. It's kind of obscure, hard to find, or I don't know at least. And so one thing I'm trying to do with regular videos is really cut down on the number of affiliate links, keep them you know, very directed to the most important ones, the most relevant ones, the products that I really truly believe in. So one, link less. For example, in this video, I don't have any. I'm not linking to the R8, not even linking to this lens. One, one of the other like more sinister things, just to go back a little bit, I see a lot of people will say in videos like, Oh, check the price, check the link below, click on the link below to check the price whenever you're watching this video. I kind of say to that, like, I'm sure I've probably done this once or twice, but I kind of say like, screw that. T tell people what this costs. Like, it's not hard to say the RF 28 millimeter pancake costs $300 in 2023, in September, 2023, but check the link below to double check what it is now. You don't have to say that. Like RF 28 millimeter, 300 bucks, link below. When they click on the link, they'll see how much it costs when they're watching the video. So I think it is a little bit greasy to direct people to the link to check the price. But I get it. 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 Everyone does it. It probably dramatically increases the click-through rate on links. And affiliate links typically will um, create a cookie that lasts typically 30, 45 days. 
And if the purchase happens anytime in that window and they haven't created another cookie from another creator's link for that same product, you'll still, the creator will still be credited with that sale. So I, I, I very much understand that phenomenon. I just don't like it. Don't like it that much at all. So I try not to do it here. Now, back to Amazon. Amazon is what I would call a low tier affiliate system. Now, there are some positives. It's one of the easiest to sign up for. I think they take just about everybody. As a creator, if you're not selling affiliate products often enough, they will shut your account down. I think this happened to me once in the very beginning. I signed up to Amazon affiliates a little bit too early. I think you need like three purchases within 90 days. Like so three people have to convert on your links to be able to keep that, to be able to keep on their affiliate platform. But if you're doing sort of any kind of volume beyond like a little bit, like that's fairly easy to get some clicks and purchases. But it, this is not something to start on day one, I should be clear. You should start this after you have a little bit of traffic. I don't like linking to Amazon because over the years, although it's an easy universal program to be on in that you can link to just about anything, you know, Amazon's percentage of money going to the creator has been reduced over and over and over and over and over and over throughout the years. And if you think about this, this makes sense. Like Amazon has massive awareness. They don't necessarily need to rely on affiliate uh, marketing to grow their business. Also, you know, this gets maybe a little bit political or into economics. People are going to have different takes. Amazon has, in my opinion, plenty of money, enough money. I don't really want to help Amazon sell products. I personally don't even love giving Amazon my business, right? I think. I've got major gripes, right? I think number one, at that scale, they should probably be doing more for the environment given how taxing their business is on it potentially. And even bigger, they need to treat their workers across the board from delivery warehouses and even in corporate better. So it's kind of, I don't wanna be giving them any more money. I also don't, like, and this is maybe a, maybe a little bit more nuanced, I don't hate that Amazon exists. I think in 2023 with you know how much technology we have and how much value that business creates, I don't really want to live in a world where Amazon doesn't exist. Like I don't typically hold Prime, but I will get it for a month or two of the year. And to be able to have something delivered next day or two day for a relatively cheap price, you know, I don't want that option going away. But I think you know they've they've created enough value that certainly they could provide that service, still keep high margins, treat their workers better, and look out for the environment. All those things I think can be true. Maybe not in the way that capitalism is implemented in America at the moment, uh, but that's a much meatier topic for a different time. I would feel better using affiliate links for smaller companies. So let's get into, got this affiliate tab. Um, We'll start with the podcast because Transistor is the service I'm using to host this show and distribute it. There are affiliate, like I would say they have an extremely lucrative affiliate program in that Transistor is a SaaS company. They're offering a SaaS product. I pay for this monthly. Anybody using Transistor does. You get a 25% commission every month for every customer that were that would go to your affiliate link and sign up for a Transistor account. So if anyone out there is listening to this show, they're thinking about starting their own, they want a more premium podcast host to distribute from, that's Transistor. There are free options, but if they would want to look at something like Transistor on the paid side of things, um, if they're either more serious or have a preference, I have a preference. I've used Transistor in the past when uh, uploading shows for clients. It's a company that I followed and I really like. And so this is a company that I'd love to see grow and I'd love to benefit from the affiliate program. So that's why this is here. If you were to click on that and become a customer for that cookie, that 30 day range, like I said, that's pretty typical. You're just going to get 25% commission every month that they're a customer. So that's extremely powerful. If you were to have even, you know, five people signed up to this service, it would be like a pretty lucrative thing in terms of affiliate marketing per month. PodSqueeze is an AI tool that I use for, that I'm kind of trying out for timestamps and show notes here. You can see like don't have a, in this first episode, or this is the second episode, 
these are straight out of pod squeeze, maybe a little bit of editing, but just trying to save like a ton of time on going through and creating these. You know, this is stuff that I might do freelance for other clients to help them get their shows distributed. I don't really want to spend a lot of my time doing this for my own show. You know, this ideally is something that I sit down, record, and publish as fast as possible and doesn't take time away from my typical videos or from other areas of my life. That's kind of like what any podcast host that doesn't want to be involved in dreams of. That's why people hire production to get their shows out the door. When you're a one-man show, you're typically doing this stuff. And so potentially AI tools, and there are a lot of them, start to be particularly helpful here. So I'm trying this out, liking it so far for my own show. They have a similarly lucrative affiliate partnership program, um, 25% for 15 months. So if, if someone signs up for PodSqueeze, uses it for 15 months at this pricing, you know, $15 a month, I don't know what that works out to, but it's probably around like 50 bucks over the lifetime of that customer. So like a pr pretty cool, pretty cool way to earn and support your own show if people are into trying these tools. Um, these are, this is my actual reporting. Hopefully there's nothing flag my email here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna show my personal email that's signed up to this account. Um, yeah, like you can see, you can see what people are clicking. This is not a big amount for September, January 1st through September 16th. Have this this year, audio only. We've got 160 bucks in commissions and have sold 25 items. You can see toward the bottom, some of these are putting off no commission. So it, I don't know exactly how this works on Amazon's program. You can sell things through their affiliate program and still get zero kickback. So like that doesn't, I don't, I'm not super into that, especially if people are buying things like a Tamron lens. Like I'd love to get three, 4% of that if they've made that decision based on value that I've provided. You can see like this is where linking to Amazon as a cannon shooter. I'll get into this toward the end of the episode as well, or maybe next. It's a good segue. If someone watches my popular video on the RF 70 to 200s and it helps them make a choice, it's an expensive purchase. I spent a lot of time making that video. Ideally, that's part of their purchasing process where either they rule in or rule themselves out for one of those two lenses. And I think, you know, it makes sense that if, I've provided some of that value. I get something back. I potentially save them the hassle. Someone bought this 2.8, so potentially save somebody the hassle of buying the F4 and figuring out that's maybe not for them. Or, you know, potentially I didn't help them that much in the decision, but they like me as a creator and wanted to support the channel and made sure to buy through my affiliate link. Any of those could be possible. Doesn't really matter which, but you can see on an item that costs 2,600 bucks, I get 100. That $100 means a lot for a creator at my size. It goes, again, kind of directly back into the channel, helps produce more content. It's extremely cool. And you can imagine as you scale and grow and more people watch content like that on any given channel, this could become, like it's 160 bucks for all of 2023 right now, not super usable. But if you look at it through the lens of that just paid for a photo trip, um, it is cool. Similarly, like I have this everyday backpack pulled up on Peak Design. Technically I'm in their program, but don't link to them super often. It's not that I don't, like Peak Design, I'm, I'm pretty deep into the Peak Design ecosystem with the capture clips and the tripods, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to link to those items in every video if I'm not featuring them as part of like a big part of the video. But somewhere, where is it? Somewhere somebody bought this Peak Design backpack. Affiliate linking in the way that Amazon kind of shows you what people are buying could help inform what you as a creator make content about. So like I've reviewed these f-stop bags. I use them all the time. Someone in my audience is using this pack. And so that creates an opportunity for me to either say like, maybe I review this backpack at some point, like maybe I try to pick it up. Maybe if this were to happen again, I could work with the affiliate manager at Peak Design and say, hey, a couple people on my channel are looking into this. I'd love to be able to you know, get this gifted in exchange for a review or get this sponsored in exchange for a review just to see, or just send it to me. Let me try it out. If it's awesome, you know, I'll make a video kind of detailing my thoughts type thing. Like you could use it to start to create content in that way. You know, personally, I don't know, you know, given the bags that I already have, this doesn't probably make sense for me to pick up unless I were reviewing it for that purpose for somebody who wanted a really small kit. Um, 
but it gives you an idea of something that you could start to do with some of this data. And then this is my Moment dashboard. I'm a huge fan of Moment. I've applied to work there a few times. I've talked with the founder, had some good conversations with their affiliate manager. Really like the Cine Blooms. I'm really loving their phone case. So I got the 14, iPhone 14 last year. Kind of like little tangent, but I upgrade phone every three, four years. Typically you try to buy the Pro when it's released and then use the camera pretty heavily in the first year or two with the battery when it's nice and fresh and then kind of tail off to not using my phone as much for content creation. MagSafe was new to me. So I think last time I mentioned, I will screw this MagSafe tripod mount right into a C-stand. And so my favorite way, the favorite easy way to do top down is to grab a C-stand. I have one over there, have the boom arm extend over the desk, screw this right into the boom arm to get a top down shot. And one of the big benefits is that it's not connected. It's not like a top down clamp. So if I were to move and shake this desk, that shot, you know, while you might see the desk moving in the shot, that's completely separate from the desk itself. Also saves me from using like a tripod to try to rig up that shot. Like C-Stand isn't the cheapest thing in the world. Buying a C-Stand and using this mount is one of the cheapest ways to use your phone as a top down. And you can see I haven't done a ton here, right? This amounts to $133, $133 in a payout to me for selling about $1,000 of stuff for a moment. You can kind of get down to um, the purchases here, kind of generally spread out throughout the year. These are largely probably related to my Cine Bloom videos. I think this is probably earnings per click. What is that? 11 clicks, 11 actions on 623 clicks. So 21 cents earning per click, um, which is an interesting metric that, you know, if you're doing a lot of this and we're trying to tweak the performance here, you might be interested in that data at my volume, not really at all. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of like the overview of my bigger affiliate programs, what they make on this scale and how I want to move through, you know, throughout the next part of my growth here. And then this is AdSense just to give a comparison of those numbers in affiliate marketing to AdSense. So Amazon, again, 160 for the year so far, Moment 133 and AdSense I've done 319. So AdSense for me still is a, a bigger chunk than any one particular affiliate marketing platform, but maybe, you know, relatively equal on any given period, generally. Um, and you can see that, you know, varies month to month based on what advertisers are paying at the time, based on the type of content that's doing well on any given time throughout this period. Uh, a lot of factors, but, you know, to give you a glimpse and what else we got. And so like when we think about getting the RF 28 millimeter through affiliate income, the biggest Biggest hurdle I think I see in my channel right now is just access to different gear to be able to create interesting content. And it's, it's kind of a, it's a fine line that I want to keep like a very close eye on because I don't want to, you know, tagline in my channel is longitudinal contextual reviews, reviews over a long period of time or a longer period of time that I can keep commenting on things within the context of my bag. And so I don't really, I kind of want to fight that phenomenon on YouTube, like embargo day, first impressions, initial review, two weeks later, like the GoPro just came out two weeks later. Oh, I recommended this GoPro yesterday, but now I'm finding massive overheating issues. Like I don't really want to get into that. I want to fight that actively as a competitive advantage to stand out among those reviews. You know, I might think differently if I was big enough to participate in some of those things, um, but I'm nowhere near that. And so I want to actively lean into the strength, which I think is here taking the time to comment on gear over the long haul. I've rented a lot in the past and I still do advocate for renting and will continue in the future probably to rent some stuff myself for the short term. It is, I think, much more valuable to do things like buy and resell for me when I want to make long term comments on any given gear. So whether or not I keep the pancake as like the super tiny version to my typical Sigma 28 millimeter, you know, I'll figure that out over time, but to be able to use it for six months as opposed to a week or two, I think is valuable for me in terms of understanding my kit and I think for the viewer. So I'd like to keep that going and kind of like buy resell trade is probably better for me and my channel and for you in the long term as opposed to renting a lot of short term, which I kind of did in the beginning. Oh, this is an episode that's running long. 
49 minutes and we're starting to get close to the overheat on the R8. We'll see if this lasts, if the battery holds up. But I do, so all that to say, I do have some targets for affiliate purchasing. Like if I end up with another chunk of money, I'd love to put that into a few different things. The obvious is something like the RF 16 millimeter. It's small lens that I don't have to feel bad about like really stuffing a big part, portion of the bag, carrying it around. I have, haven't really reviewed or used anything that wide in a really long time since I had my Samyang 14 millimeter. And it's kind of in that buying range where it might be one or two AdSense checks away from being able to get my hands on that or something like the RF 24 millimeter macro. So I think those are interesting targets in the future to maybe say like, okay, if I want to reinvest in the channel, you know, the look at the, the look at what gear I can buy and looking at what gear I can buy, like those things are potentially interesting things to compare with the current kit and, and test them out. Both are not particularly things I would keep long-term, I don't think. So, you know, it, again, it kind of comes down to balancing that, whether or not it's something that I want to spend that money on, or if I can put it into um, growing the channel in a better way. But those are things that I would consider. There's also like, I'd love to get into the Sony space just to check it out, right? I think at the very core um, on a gear channel like this, there's kind of balancing reviewing gear and using the things that you actually really truly use and then also getting your hands on things that viewers might be interested in and want to use and i can tell you that i would love to try a whole sony kit just for my own curiosity big time and i think it's something that would be interesting to you know mostly canon only viewers as this channel is a canon channel given my bag as it is currently and so pulling this back to affiliate marketing I'm pretty limited in what I can do with affiliate marketing from a gear standpoint with Canon. I don't, I, you know, I can link to it on Amazon, obviously, but it's kind of like lower click-through rate and I don't want to support Amazon, like I said. I could look into something like B&H's affiliate program or actually use Best Buy for a good amount of gear in the last two years, mostly during the pandemic, but I've had really good experiences with them, their customer service chat online finding things, particularly for my M1 MacBook Air, um, the original MacBook Air that I had, that was hard to get sort of by near launch with the new M1 chip. And they were super helpful with that. I think I bought my 70 to 200 there or one of, one of the lenses at Best Buy that they were helpful in looking up. There's probably bigger thresholds to clear to get in those affiliate programs. I like Again, I'd love to keep working with Moment and Moment is a Fuji Sony shop. So... You know, I can't do a lot linking to Canon here, obviously. Perhaps getting into that Sony world, some of that cost would be defrayed by getting that gear. And this is not to say that I'm going to run out and spend thousands of dollars on a Sony kit in order to make affiliate linking to Sony kit a viable option. That's definitely um, if the channel grows or if I end up with income to spend on that sort of thing and it makes sense, sure. But Certainly before I buy my next like primary body, I would love to try shooting with some Sony. And for a couple reasons, I think if I look at, let's look at the 28 millimeter review for the Sigma. This is the one that did really poorly that I think if you're interested in this 28 to 35 phenomenon at all, you should check out. I'll definitely link this on this episode, but I would say, you know, Canon's in an interesting spot for the beginner intermediate in 2023, I think they're a lot farther than they used to be. Like, I, I think recommending Canon mirrorless a few years ago was kind of tough. Like, it was working for me and still has, but to recommend that for the intermediate, like, there was a lot of gap and there still is. And so the reason I pull up this is because it kind of shows my core four lenses. Like, I, I can do, I'm, I'm very happy with the R6 long term for photography. Um, and it works really well with kind of these core four lenses, these two zooms, the 24 to 105, the 70 to 200 f4s. And then I've got fast weather sealed options on the wide and tight end in the 28 and the 85. The 50 is something that if I want that subject separation, particularly indoors, or so this is something I use sometimes on page shoots, or if I'm just indoors, I use this 50 more than the 85. I think long term, I could probably see myself using like a faster 50, like a 51.4 that's weather sealed and a 135 instead of the 85. But for, you know, obviously 
cost reasons. That's not something I'm super excited about at the exact moment. These four work pretty good for me. And this 50 turns into a good complement depending on what I'm packing. For example, going to Ireland, I brought the 24 to 105, the 70 to 200. That's my F4 coverage. That, you know, that's my weather sealed F4 coverage. That's going to work if I had nothing else. The 50 I put in for, you know, it, it really, in terms of bag space costs, nothing to pack, but it gives you that indoor and fast option, that you, like the super fast option that you don't have in the 24 to 105 and 70 to 200. So it's like these core four and I like that 50. This 28, you know, maybe this sticks around longer term than I expect because it sort of acts like that, that 50, right? There are going to be times that I don't want to pack this puppy, but the 28, if it's dry outside, gets me most of the way there. Counterpoint, went to Ottawa in February, March, snowed a good portion of the time we were walking around, used the 28 on the R6, no worries. Like no stress about that. And that's how I like it. If it were the 28 and you get into a little bit more precipitation, you start to worry about things like that a little bit more. I just like weather sealing. I don't know what to tell you. So this is working well. I think it would be interesting to shoot higher megapixel body. So think whether that's the R5 II, whether that's A7R5, like those are things that I would love to try out when they're available to me. And for the R5 II, when it's available to the public, I suppose. Um, you also have the A7CR, which is kind of that newer Sony higher megapixel body that's launching, I don't know, October at some point. That would be super interesting to try. And like, there's the whole mess of Sony lenses that you just can't quite get on Canon or get on Canon natively. It's like, I'd love to try the 200 to 600, especially like this is another lens that um, really happy and excited to try over the last several months, probably will hold on to it for the next several months. Not sure long-term if this is the fit for me. I, I think I'm a decent candidate for the 100 to 500 if I had a budget. And um, like I'd love to try that lens and compare it at some point to this. I just, when I think about bringing this on an important trip for shooting long, I'm not sold on bringing the non-weather sealed option. So we'll cover all that in this video, but you know, would be excited to try the RF 100 to 500 and then like the Sony mount specific things that I'd love to get my hands on would be like the 20 millimeter, uh, the 35 to 150 Tamron. Would love to try this um, new 7200 F4 II. Pretty cool looking lens with the half macro throughout the focal length. Um, so can it just be behind on some, some of these things? Uh, what else do I want to try? I'd love to try like um, something like the FX30. I think if people were to say like, how do you recommend filming long video sequences and avoiding overheating and kind of paying like in that middle intermediate range for a camera like that? I haven't used it. Like I would really like to be filming something like this or my channel A roll on something like the FX30 and the 20 millimeter, given the crop factor. Like that would be a really cool A roll camera that you could roll comfortably for two hours ish or one and a half, whatever it ends up being without the, you know, without the threat of overheating, without needing to get a Ninja 5. Like, I, I don't know. The, the, there are much cheaper solutions than buying another A-roll camera. But one thing that I struggle with as a content creator is the R6 is a great photo camera, pretty much meets all of my needs. Obviously, can't try higher megapixel with it. Um, don't need to most of the time. I mean, clearly don't need to 100% of the time. Would I like to dabble in that? Sure. So that's something I'll consider for another body. But in terms of photo needs, like the R6 Mark I hits everything for me across the board with kind of that core four set of lenses. Where it starts to struggle is it has a record limit for creating videos. And so the second that you start to step into that hybrid function, you know, I, the Mark I, I don't love. The R8, that's what I'm filming on right now because it can record for, um, you know, I think the record limit on 4K24 is two hours, or at least that's what my, I think that's when you have to, restart the video. We're still overheating or we haven't overheated yet, but we have the bar. I did hit this on my trip. I almost nearly overheated on the trip photo and video 4k 60. Um, so this is great in the moment, but I don't plan to keep this camera. I think the R6 Mark II, like if I had to, if budget were no issue and I didn't have to like sell my R6 and consolidate this R8, again, this R8, I'm kind of thinking as a long-term rental. 
Uh, but if I were to go out and lose some money trading up to the R6 Mark II, given my R6 Mark I, that's probably a great camera for me at the moment. But I'm probably just going to ride the R6 on the photo front for even longer and then shop around for bodies at some point in the future. So there's just a ton of stuff that I'd like to try, both on the Canon side still and on the Sony side for sure, just to check out what that world is like. You know, I don't want to, I have kind of the intermediate Canon kit and I don't, before I go and spend a lot of money on really pro or, in the high, or any of the high-end lenses, I kind of want to maybe try some more stuff before I commit really long-term to something like the 100 to 500, for instance, or anything like the 50 millimeter one, two, or if Canon ever comes out with the 50 one, four, things like that. I don't really want to buy until I'm really set in a system long-term. If we want to jump into the analytics portion here, see what we've got saved. So I'm distributing this podcast audio only. <laughs> this um, transistor dashboard is pretty sparse. Not many people listening to the show in general, but particularly not audio only. This dashboard, I think, will be interesting for us to check out if we can make it to 10 episodes. If this show becomes a thing that I continue to do long term, this will become more interesting. And we can definitely pull this up more often. Um, I have this podcast open. Like we can see not many people listening to the duration of these shows. Click through rates are pretty bad. This is just give you an idea of what this looks like compared to normal videos. And what else we got in here? This is the second episode. So people still picking this up a little bit, but similar retention graph. This is, this is kind of our trailing 28 day dashboard control. So, you know, this is the, this is the current analytics that I'd be looking at today. Almost 19,000 views for this period, 830 watch hours, 90 subscribers. YouTube is telling me it's higher than normal and about 40 bucks we can compare this real-time 28-day period to the 28 days leading up to the 2,700 subscriber milestone date. And we can see viewers are a little higher because I think we're running off of some of that shorts traffic from episode two that we saw. Watch time is down though. Again, I think same thing because of the shorts. Subscribers at 55. So not growing as quickly through this period as I am right now in the last 28 days. And revenue at about 35. The video that came out in this period was the Sigma 28. And I think you know, we can look at that and how bad, like I keep referencing how poorly this is doing. It's basically dead. Um, you know, the click, the click through rate is bad here. This is a bad thumbnail. I swapped it once. It was astro focused before and that wasn't doing well. I don't like at some point, like I just don't get super excited to try to keep or try anything to revive it. It kind of is what it is. You know, I can link to it when I think it's especially relevant, something like here. Um, I think it is a good topic about the choice between 2835 and how I think about the wide end of my kit and how I think through that. Um, but there's, there's different ways to go about approaching this. And I think what I'm going to do is kind of keep that punchy main video in the newer style that I've created with, not created, just like the newer style that I'm trying to embrace with this RF 28 millimeter. It's like a little bit faster pace. A little bit more interesting, a little bit more weird. Like tried to make this to get the views, to get the traffic. And then I can still talk about kind of like the in-depth topics that I want to hit on this RF 28 millimeter video. And potentially that's done here on the podcast. Uh, there are probably videos that I can step back that are not lens specific and talk about those topics as well. Um, so like in retrospect, Maybe I would speak less about the personal choice between all the different wide angle lenses here and just really focus on the review of the Sigma 28 f1.4. It, it's I don't know. I'll probably I'll probably not try to talk about this too much. Beat the dead horse about how bad this is doing or or how to improve it or how to do it differently later. But that's kind of how I think about this video and what I'm trying to take away um, from how dead it is. I think those are the big things I wanted to cover from an analytics standpoint. We'll get this third episode out and then shift gears into, you know, the two main channel videos all up on the 28 millimeter and the 100 to 400 video. And we'll go from there. Couple, couple episodes coming up. I know we tease this every time, but we're still in catch up phase. So the channel is at today, 3,034 subscribers. This is the episode for 2,700. 
for 2800, I'll probably cover replicating the success of popular videos. So on this channel, I've tried to do that for the 24 to 105, the 70 to 200. I've also tried to do this on my hockey channel. So depending on if that video picks up at all, we, we will take a look at that because I think it's an interesting example. Episode five for 2,900 subscribers. We might do freelancing, YouTube, podcasting, kind of the things that I'm doing now, you know, for quote work or just things that I'm trying to experiment with content. Maybe a deeper dive on how this podcast is doing by then. And then episode six is that 3,000 mark, which would bring us up to speed currently. Uh, I've talked about maybe doing photo editing, Lightroom presets and masking, and how I approach either style or how, how I feel about keeping photos um, true to real life or, or something, something around that as I'm thinking about and grappling with these things now. Uh, so TBD on episode 3000, uh, but that's all I've got. Let me know if you've uh, got any questions on the affiliate stuff. Otherwise, thanks for listening.